This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We talked about this a number of times. One of the main purposes for me for this show uh, is to say, here are the things we say we believe in the creed and what impact does that have on our daily life? How do we live out the creed? Uh, And one of the things that I bring up often is the Catholic intellectual tradition. We, we bring people from all kinds of different places, from the University of Notre Dame McGrath Institute for Church Life. Uh, we had someone recently uh, for the, the Sacra Doctrina Project, and all, all of this is because the Catholic intellectual tradition helps us to understand the creed so that we can understand the implications of our belief on our daily life. Uh, and so it's, it's incumbent upon us as Catholics to form our understanding of the faith. And that can be done so well when partnering with Catholic academia. So today we're going to continue that conversation. We're going to talk today with Dr. Jared Ortiz, who's the executive director and co-founder of the St. Benedict Institute for Catholic Thought, Culture, and Evangelization out in Holland, Michigan. Dr. Ortiz, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, I, I mentioned this to you off air. Um, I, I follow a lot of academics from a number of different traditions, from a number of different locations, and it took me a while. I loved the stuff that you were putting out. I was very interested in it, but it took me a while to realize that you were a Catholic theologian uh, because you're in Holland, Michigan at Hope <laughs> College, which is not the first place you think of when you think of ac- uh, Catholic intellectual tradition. So before we get into everything else, just kind of break down, how did a St. Benedict Institute end up at a Hope College in Holland, Michigan? Yeah, so kind of a a very neat story. So uh, Hope College uh, uh, is a school in the Reformed tradition, the Reformed Church in America, and has largely been a denominational school for a hundred and some odd years. In the 1970s, like a lot of schools, uh, Hope went secular and was really sort of drifting away from their Christian identity. And then in the 90s, uh, there was a very sort of far-seeing provost and president who said, we don't want to lose our Christian identity. And they sort of turned the ship around and Hope became a sort of very vibrant uh, evangelical sort of school. And then when they sort of woke up in the 2000s, um, they looked over their faculty and students and just realized that all these Catholics had snuck in uh, (laughs) in, in 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 that secular period. Uh, when Hope lost its reputation for being a denominational school. Um, So about 20% of the students are Catholic, and about 15% of the faculty are Catholic. Actually, this year's freshman class is 27% Catholic. Mm. Pretty remarkable. Uh, But back, uh, so that that was the case for um, uh, quite a long time, well, for a couple of decades. Um, And in in the early 2000s, uh, they decided that or the religion department decided that they wanted a Catholic faculty um, and they had one person and that didn't quite work out. And then I got the job in 2012. So they hired me and they said, you know, you're not representing the whole Catholic faith, but we just want someone. Um, uh, they just want, we want a Catholic theologian. And it was interesting because during the interview, I said, why would a Protestant school want a Catholic theologian um, on their faculty? And their answer was very beautiful. They said, um, 
Well, you know, 20% of our students are Catholic, so we want someone who can, you know, uh, talk to them. But what we really want is someone who could witness to the continuity of the whole tradition hmm. to both our Catholic and Protestant students. And so I've always kind of taken that as my mission. I mean, that was just an interview question. It was not in my job description. But I said, yeah, I, I can be a witness to the Catholic tradition, to 2,000 years of Catholic tradition. Um, so when I came to Hope, I didn't have any uh, intention of founding a Catholic institute. I just was grateful to have a job uh, as my first job after graduate school. Um, but uh, after a year of being at Hope, uh, what I found was I had you know, lots of students in my classes, Catholic and Protestant, but uh, I'd have this conversation with Catholic students time and again. Uh, at the end of class, they would say, you know, you're Catholic, right? Because I, I pray before every class, so I make the sign of the cross. And so, you know, give myself away. Yeah. Um, and so the students would come up at the end of class, say, wow, this class really kind of got me excited about my faith again. Um, and I kind of want to go back to Catholic church. Um, I haven't been in three years. And then they would say, is there a Catholic church in town? Mm-hmm. And the Catholic church is on the same street as Hope College, <laughs> less than a mile away on the same cross street. And I just realized that there's a real crisis. So here we have 600 Catholic students, more than 550 of them don't practice their faith anymore, uh, which is just the national average, you right. know, but the national average is represented at Hope. And I said, well, we we should do something. And so me and a few Catholic professors got together, drank um, some whiskey, and then we drank some beer on a different day. And then we came up with this idea. Why don't we start an institute, uh, the St. Benedict Institute? And so, yeah, in 2014, we just started doing a little bit of programming and it just sort of took off from there. So what, what did you and your colleague see that an institute would provide that the normal course of studies wouldn't provide? What, what is it that the institute allows you to do with the students and the community that you couldn't otherwise do? Yeah, you know, in some ways, it's, it's done a lot more than I anticipated. Um, so one thing that it did, so we, there was a, a union of Catholic students, which was this kind of resistance movement started in the 90s. Um, and they were sort of a hunkered down, but very faithful contingent of students. But students just change every few years. And so there's no leadership, there's no continuity. So on the one, one hand, I thought we could provide some stability. We can provide a public presence. We can provide continuity and leadership. Uh, we could provide a distinctive Catholic voice in this ecumenical setting of Hope College. Um, and so those were, I think, our, our, our initial ideas. You know, we named it St. Benedict um, because, you know, what St. Benedict did was, you know, he founded these monasteries during the so-called Dark Ages, you know, when sort of Roman civilization was crumbling. And he founded these monasteries as sort of these beacons of light, these places that were uh, ordered to God and the things of God. And they uh, attracted people to them, right? So they they had what I call spiritual gravity. Uh, and so they drew people in by the beauty of their lives, by the beauty of their learning. Uh, and that's what we wanted the St. Benedict Institute to do, was to draw the students in, to draw the community in, to be this place where um, uh, people could have Catholic conversations, that it was okay to be Catholic. Um, we did want to make Catholicism cool again, because it was definitely not cool at Hope College. And now it's very cool at Hope College uh, to be Catholic. Um but then from there, I mean, it just, it, it grew in all sorts of ways. Um, four years ago, we hired a full-time Catholic priest, mm-hmm. uh, Dominican. Um, 
which there's a little bit, uh, it's a little funny, right? To have a Dominican at St. Benedict. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of tension between us. Um, <laughs> no, no, very compatible vocations uh, and visions of, of, uh, of the spiritual life. Um, no, he's a wonderful, wonderful Dominican priest um, and certainly, you know, brings his Thomistic training. And that's very much part of the uh, intellectual work that Benedictines have always done. You know, Thomas was, was, formed by uh, Benedictines, you know, he went to school at Monte Cassino. And so there's the Benedictine spirituality to Thomas uh, as well. So yeah, very, very compatible uh, there. So one of the things that you have, you've obviously got all of your, your activities for students, your spiritual formation, your intellectual formation, but then you also extend that out to the rest of the church. You've got these um, these webinars uh, or or archived um, videos of of the talks that y'all give there that that I am intrigued by uh, because they cover everything from uh, monastic uh, wisdom summer webinar series, the Song of Songs and monastic interpretation, which seems very kind of niche to academia, but has implications for us to understand uh, the that whole intellectual tradition of our faith, but then also tackling some of the difficult questions that so often the majority of us get our, our information about these difficult topics uh, from sound bites or from social media or from some brief article rather than really taking the time to, to prepare ourselves and, and to equip ourselves to dig deeply into the meat of the question. So by way of example, you had a, a race, racism, and anti-racism, a dialogue on how Christians should think about race. Um, yes. And you had a, a couple of panelists that were part of that, that, um, that allows the person participating to get some different perspectives, to look at Christian tradition, and to answer it more deeply than just kind of our, our gut reaction or uh, quick little snippet right? It allows us to look deeply at our tradition. You've got one coming up, uh, the genesis of gender, Christian and feminist perspectives on sex and gender. Uh, that's coming up Thursday, September 30th. If people are in your area, of course they can come, but you're also going to put that online after the fact. And these, these are things that we maybe are nervous to think deeply about because they're challenging topics. And the, the academy is the perfect place uh, to address these kinds of topics. So talk a little bit about the, the impetus for bringing this side of Catholic thought into the Institute and, and extending that out beyond hope, beyond uh, Holland, Michigan, and out to, to the rest of us. So, right. So part of our intellectual mission is to think about things and to think about all the things that Catholics think about in uh, Catholic ways. And we said very, very early on that we'd be, we're, we're happy when we pack the house, um, but we're also happy if we do something really cool that only has 40 people there. Mm -hmm. So we'll do things on poetry, which are awesome, but, you know, maybe don't have as big a draw as when we do the, the controversial uh, things. But when we do the controversial things, we always try to do them uh, at a slant. Um, because that's the thing is, it's very easy to say there's a left and a right, 
um, a right and a wrong, and that these are just at loggerheads. And the, I've always seen the Catholic way as, in a sense, sort of sailing over that or providing a third way. And because you're right, I mean, it's always set up in this kind of dichotomous way. The academy is actually not the best place to talk about this because often they're afraid to talk about it. So either it becomes, especially today, it becomes either a shouting match, you know, cancel culture, and that happens on the left and the right. Um, or it's just, you know, like, look, politics and sex are just off the table. We'll talk about other things, yeah. and especially in West Michigan, where we're very nice. You know, <laughs> we sometimes lack the courage to talk about these things. It's practically Canada up there. right? <laughs> um, so we've always said, you know, we don't want to shy away from everything, mm -hmm. but we also don't want to, we want to add light. We want to bring light and not heat. So, um, you know, when we did, when we helped to organize the, the race, racism and anti-racism event, you know, the, the dominant voice right now is very much the anti-racism voice, you know, D'Angelo, Kendi, you know, these kind of folks. And I think there's some merit in, in what they say. I also think there's a lot of problems in what they say. But we had someone who represented that very, very eloquently. Um, and then we had another, a very Christian fellow, uh, Protestant. And then we also had a Catholic uh, fellow who um, just brought a really unique perspective. And we said, let's have the president moderate it, uh, president of the college. And and let's just say, like, look, we can talk about these things. It doesn't have to be bitter. Uh, we're aiming towards understanding. We can agree and disagree in, in creative, interesting ways. And so we've always tried to do that. You know, when we, we brought... Um, three gay Catholics uh, to Hope. We brought more gay people than anybody else did to Hope College. Um, but we brought three gay Catholics to talk about the Catholic understanding of marriage and yeah. chastity. Um, and so these kind of things like cross people's wires. And we always are trying to do that to say, you know, they think they're going to come in and hear gay people are bad. And yet here's these gay people saying, look, we love gay people. Right. Um, and yet, look, there's there's a different way to think about this. You know, maybe yeah. maybe we're called to something else, you know, as Christians. Um, and it it crosses people's wires. And so these events often, you know, people will come, you know, a little bit tense and then they walk away, you know, the left and the right walk away saying, wow, you know, that was kind of cool. I didn't know we could think about those things in these ways. So on the one hand, we always we always try to model, you know, a very sort of civil discourse, but also a really kind of creative discourse to say, like, look, there's something else on offer um, that we're just not getting um, in in the run of the mill conversations about these topics. And these are really challenging uh, conversations to set up. I mean, that takes a, a great deal of intentionality to frame a conversation in a way that's going to take everybody off guard and enter into a middle way. We like to think in terms of, of the black and white as in um, a, a council, like a church council, where at the end of the church council, there is a defined way and there is heresy. But we forget that before the council was completed, it was convened. And it was convened to explore these ideas to determine right and, and wrong. And the way that it ended up is not necessarily the way that everyone expected it to end up. We have to enter into these conversations and wrestle with them, realizing from the very beginning that the church is going to have a perspective that might be different than we expect. And we might be the ones that the church asks to change. We, the church might ask us to reframe or redirect our understanding of something 
um, rather than just jumping to a conclusion or feeling that that gut reaction, the church asks us to form ourselves, to form our conscience, and also to form our our knowledge and our wisdom. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, and um, yeah, just our American way of framing these things really is almost ridiculous um, uh, at times. You know, you just look at someone like Pope Benedict XVI, who is, you know, a, a great traditionalist on liturgy and morality, and is, was also known as the Green Pope. Mm-hmm. And you would never think that someone that traditional would be a green pope, you know. Um, but it's like, no, these things are perfectly consistent, right? So, yeah, so we are called to sort of get outside of our, you know, these political boxes that box us in to opinions that aren't really Catholic, you know. Yeah. Um, so, again, some of the opinions are, you know, are consistent with Catholic teaching, but then it comes with other things which are not necessarily Catholic. And so, yeah, so... We do have to yeah. bend so we don't break. And um, again, be creative about how we think about these things. We're talking with Dr. Jared Ortiz, executive director and co-founder of the St. Benedict Institute for Catholic Thought, Catholic Culture, and Evangelization. So let's look at those three things. We're talking about Catholic thought here, um, but that's just one aspect of what you're looking to, to affect with the St. Benedict Institute. So what does it look like? in the Institute for you to begin forming culture, the Institute for, for culture as well as Catholic thought? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, in some ways we um, think about this, I think very much the way uh, I, at least I imagine that St. Benedict did, that he didn't imagine that he was setting up, um, that he was gonna influence society. He Uh thought, I'm going to serve God. And uh, these are the ways we serve God, right? We're going to form these communities of holiness, these communities of sanity, uh, these communities of beauty. um, And that's what we're called to do. And yet what happened, right, was that um, uh, Colonel Newman has this beautiful description of of how what happens is these monasteries, they go into, or these monks, they go into these swamps, they drain the swamps, they turn them into gardens, they turn them into... um, uh, hermitages, they turn them into abbeys. And then what happens is, you know, farms pop up around them and then villages and then towns and then cities, right? And grow around them with the monastery as the nucleus, right? And so it's the sort of centering principle, um, which has drawn things together, has drawn community together. Um, and so we, that's in some ways what we want to do is to say, this is what Catholics do. Let's have these conversations. Let's do these spiritual practices mm-hmm. and we'll see what happens, you know? So we've seen that on the intellectual side and on the spiritual side in really beautiful ways in the intellectual side, uh, people do come to our events and then they just stay after and talk and they talk about things that are just not normally talked about. Um, and you see the formation of uh, just again in the community, non-academics, you know, starting to live an intellectual culture, you know, mm-hmm. thinking deeply about these questions. Spiritually, you know, my favorite story was um, our priest, uh, his, I think it was his first year, um, right before Lent, he said, hey, I want to try this program called Exodus 90. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Exodus 90? So 90 days of prayer, fasting, and fellowship. Um, so students, you, know, you, you do it, you have to pray for 20 minutes a day. You have to fast from all social media. Um, 
and you have to take cold showers, you have to fast from food twice a week. It's a really intense regimen. And the 90 days is meant to break bad habits as a psychological number. And then you meet weekly with, you know, accountability groups, you know, and you confess your sins and you talk through struggles and you get formed. So Father Nick says, hey, I want to do this thing. And I was like, well, you know, I said, I don't think you'll get anybody, but sure. What, what do I care? It's your failure, not mine. So he gets 40 students. The first year he gets 40 students and he kills it. Men and women, Catholics and Protestants do this. The next year he does it again, gets 120 students. Um, and then uh, these last two years, he's toned it down. He's at 80 students each time. But then what's happened is that not only the students doing it, but people at the parish decided to do it. So we had a men's group that did it. And we had Catholics and Protestants there. And then the Protestant uh, broke off and he started his own group amongst the Protestants. Typical. Um, and then the ladies at the parish, uh, the, the the church ladies, what are they called? Uh, you know, the, the, the office people uh, who work at the parish, they decided to do it. And right, you just see this sort of spreading throughout. And you have all these Exodus 90 groups now in Holland. And the Protestants are calling each other saying, hey, I want to do this. Who else is doing this? And like that's trans. I mean, this is transforming people's lives. I mean, it's transforming the students' lives. Um, this is the first time they've ever had a grip on any of their vices um, that they've ever made progress, both spiritually in prayer, but also in their struggles with sin. Um, and but then you also see that same kind of transformation happening uh, out in the community. What I what I find so fascinating about about this idea and this way of approaching culture uh, is that. <laughs> one that it actually works you know so often when we look at trying to develop culture we think about it as the culture war i have to tilt against these windmills and these ideas that i disagree with because they're dangerous to the culture um and so then all of our focus and all of our energy goes to combating the bad rather than as you're talking about here living out the good it's like it's in scripture or something right whatever is beautiful and good and just and of uh, of good report think on these things and to focus our energy and our attention on building our own culture and developing that within ourselves and within our our immediate faith community and letting the rest grow up around that rather than trying to knock down what we see as weeds let god be the gardener and just tend to our own spirituality. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's, at the end, I think that's exactly right. And I think that's beautiful. You know, and you, you, you asked before about, you know, what, you know, what is it that, you know, an institute can do? It's, you know, it's an interesting question. I was, I was thinking of this other example, which is really my favorite one, um, was, uh, you know, a few years ago, I uh, was teaching um, I was teaching here at Hope College, but the folks at Calvin College, who are our arch rivals, and I don't like them, I want that to be on record. <laughs> um, but uh, my friends at Calvin College asked me to teach in their prison program, mm -hmm. um, which was really wonderful. Um, uh, so uh, I, I worked in this, this prison program. But before this, actually, um, uh, one of the inmates in their program, who's Catholic, uh, wrote me a letter. Um, he had seen an article of, in the in the uh, diocesan magazine about me, about confession, about all my sins. And so he just thought this was great. And he said, hey, could you come into the prison and talk to me? And so I did. And that's how I got connected with these Calvin folks. Um, and so he and I, this this inmate, Eric Boldejar, and I just struck up a friendship. We just started writing letters back and forth. 
Um, and at one point in our correspondence, he said, um, hey, would the St. Benedict Institute be willing to host a conference on restorative justice? Mm. And then I said, yes, if you organize it. And so I said, you inmates have to organize this. You have to plan it. You have to invite all the speakers. We'll do the logistics on the outside. And so the inmates started writing letters to all these speakers. Um, and we worked with Calvin because they were all Calvin college students. Um, and we ended up organizing this all day um, conference on restorative justice. Um, and we had the warden speak and the bishop spoke. And you know we had all these leaders in the restorative justice uh, movement. Uh, talking about this, the inmates were able to make videos, which usually doesn't happen, and they they also communicated. Um, they also taught us about what restorative justice was, and it was a really striking moment for me um, to think about the versatility of these kind of Catholic institutes. Because I thought, if I was just a professor, I probably wouldn't have pulled this off. If I was just a parishioner, I wouldn't have pulled this off at the church. Um, but in this institute, which is actually a ministry of the church to the college, um, I have this sort of middle space and flexibility to be able to field this kind of inspiration and to make it happen. And so we, we did this all day conference and, you know, over 300 people came and it was just we were standing room only for the whole day. Um, and then it's led to. Uh, two or three subsequent conferences that the inmates have organized um, around Michigan. And so just a, a really remarkable thing. And again, just bringing together people who would not be brought together, right? Democrats and Republicans are actually pretty much on the same page about uh, these questions of restorative justice and prison reform, you know, the bishop here speaking at Hope College, you know. Um, so just really kind of neat things of bringing thing people together. And then actually what came out of this last thing in terms of culture was uh, the, the my colleagues here at Hope and then the seminary right next to Hope College called Western Seminary um, were sort of so moved by this experience that we just started talking about what we could do. And now this semester, we have actually launched a new um, bachelor's degree program in the prison, in a different prison. So Calvin does one out in Ionia, Michigan. We're up in Muskegon. Um, Correctional facility, um, and we're offering now a, a bachelor's degree to incarcerated, uh, now incarcerated Hope College students. My guest today is Dr. Jared Ortiz, who's the executive director and co-founder of the Saint Benedict Institute for Catholic Thought, Culture, and Evangelization at at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. You can find out more about the work they do by going to saintbenedictinstitute.org. That's saint all spelled out, not just the S-T, saintbenedictinstitute.org. When we come back, we're going to talk about how the Institute fulfills that last part of its name, that mission of evangelization. In the meantime, join us for the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. There you'll find relevant links and have a chance to weigh in on what you think about this week's episode. Don't go anywhere. There's so much more to come right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam. We're joined today by Dr. Jared Ortiz, who's the executive director and co-founder of the St. Benedict Institute for Catholic Thought, Culture, and Evangelization at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. Dr. Ortiz, thanks for being with us today. Good to be here. So we've talked a little bit about the what it means to be a Catholic Institute, uh, about forming ourselves in the Catholic intellectual tradition. So there's Catholic thought. We talked a little bit about culture and how y'all are approaching forming culture, uh, but it's the Institute for Catholic Thought, Culture, and Evangelization. Um, now, you're at an evangelical college. There's a lot of, of um, ecumenical work that's going on just on a daily basis of being part of that, that institution. What does evangelization look like in that context and is there? Do you do you encounter much of uh, your Protestant students kind of looking at you askance and with suspicion of he's going to try to evangelize me, something along those lines? <laughs> so very very early on, um, uh, I became friends with the folks at Hope College's campus ministries. So I have a campus ministry team of about five or six, and they're very robust. And Hope has a very robust campus ministry program all around. So they do chapel three times a week, 20 minutes, no classes. So 20 minutes, three times a week. And about a thousand students voluntarily show up to that for 10 minutes of praise music and 10 minutes of really solid preaching. Um, So we've always seen our mission as in conjunction with theirs. So we're friends. We're not about stealing the sheep. Uh, we're, We're about bringing the gospel to whoever whoever can hear it and to building the kingdom together. Mm-hmm. So that's also part of the culture thing is actually just being friends and showing what it means to be friends and to be friends in Christ. Um, so, uh, you know, our primary mission is the lost sheep of Israel. You know, it's, it's the, it's the lapsed Catholics, you know, that, that is our primary mission field. Uh, that being said, we serve whoever comes to us. So I, I mentioned the Exodus 90 program, which is usually about half Protestant. Um, and again, a good mix of men and women. And so those students are getting formed, you know, by our campus ministers, by our priest. And we have a lay campus minister as well, a, a woman who's really wonderful. Um, so she works a lot with the formation of, of the women. Um, <clears throat> and so part of it is... Um, so the evangelization, I think, works on, on a number of levels. So I think one thing that we can bring is a kind of depth that is, again, usually not on offer at a lot of places, even at a lot of parishes, just not on, not, um, not on offer. And so I think we get a lot of the serious students and a lot of the serious Protestant students who see that. They say, I've kind of gone as far as I can go. And you guys are doing something else. You you guys have something that we want. Um, and so again, we get a lot of students in Exodus 90, and then that get we're doing something now. Exodus 365, not as intense as Exodus 90, but year-long accountability, year-long prayer, and year-long some disciplines um, um, there. And that those groups are really strong. The other thing those groups have to do, those students have to do, is they have to go to spiritual direction um, with our priest or our campus minister. And so every Friday, this is one of the most profound things that our campus ministers have done, is they've set all day Friday aside for spiritual direction. 
Mm -hmm. So they have 20 minute slots and some students have regular meetings every week or every other week. And then other students can just sign up ad hoc when they need something. But that's where a lot of the deep gospel work happens. Um, there's one thing to sort of draw people in and we do the, a lot of that. We have, you know, a ministry of friendship and we have a lot of students who are doing good work on the front lines and kind of bringing people to mass and things like that. But it's really sort of getting them into Exodus 90, having them for the first time experience God and a relationship and an intimacy with God um, to come face to face with their own sins, to confess them for the first time since confirmation. Um, and then to say, where do I go from here? You know, and how do I live an evangelical life? How do I live a gospel infused life? And a lot of that work happens in uh, spiritual direction. Mm -hmm. Um the other place, again, um, evangelization works is, you know, in, in our classroom and inter, in our intellectual events, you know, is that we, again, we, we hit these controversial issues, but we hit lots of other kind of cool, fun, interesting things, and just sort of neat theological things, you know, that again, students don't get to hear elsewhere, that again, has a kind of depth and a kind of intellectual richness uh, that really is attractive mm -hmm. uh, to students and that sort of draws them in. Um, you know, we also have adoration very regularly and that draws a lot of students in. A lot of our Protestant students go to adoration, you know, and they just love to be in the presence of Jesus. This is kind of where I was going to go next. I was, uh, the, the Catholic intellectual tradition is, um, it's the seasoning, I think, to help us more deeply appreciate the flavor of the sacramental life, right? Yeah, we can. You can go and you can receive all the graces of the sacrament, but there is, an, I think, an appreciation and a depth that comes to our reception of the sacraments when we more fully understand the teaching of the church in a nuanced and complex way. So coming out of that, this Institute for Catholic Thought, Culture, and Evangelization at St. Benedict Institute, um, as you are forming people in that Catholic intellectual tradition, what does it look like then in your offerings and their experience of the sacramental life? Yeah, great question. Yeah, so we've always, from the very beginning, uh, you know, we, we've had that dual mission um, to form students intellectually and spiritually. And the thing is, um, not a lot of institutes do that. So Newman centers often will focus on the spirituality. You have other institutes like the Lewin Christie Institute, which is our partial model uh, over at the University of Chicago, which does the intellectual stuff and they do it better than anyone. Um, and so we try, we do both because we know if you form the intellect without the heart, without the spirituality, then it can become arid, it becomes an exercise, it becomes a theological game. Yeah. Um, if you form the heart without the mind, you really can get swept away um, by arguments, by, um, by clever sophists um, and the philosophies of the world, right? So you really need both and you really need to form them together because you really need to form the whole person. And so that's why we've always had both of these offerings um, uh, together. So on the spiritual side, uh, we offer daily mass. Um, we have Hope College has given us a chapel, which we're renovating right now, which will be the most beautiful building, or I should say most beautiful room. It's a catacomb uh, chapel, but it's going to be lovely. Actually, it's lovely already, but it'll be remarkably lovely and really the most beautiful room in Holland, Michigan. Um, uh, so we have this beautiful chapel. Uh, and so we have daily mass there. Uh, and actually, we also have evening masses there 
we have weekly adoration, uh, we have regular confession, then of course, and we have a Sunday on campus mass uh, in the evenings. Um, so all of those things are, you know, regularly on offer. And again, in addition to, not in addition, but uh, also right. in addition to what I said before, uh, the spiritual direction, uh, which is on offer. So all the of, other, all oh, of yeah, this all, I, we'll get back to that. All of this that you're talking about, it sounds to me like the um, the seeds and all of the ingredients that are necessary uh, for really dynamic expressions of of finding your your charism, finding your vocation. Uh, and so I'm curious, what is what's been your your perspective? What kinds of vocations have you seen spring out of this, whether to religious life or to priesthood or to just really solid family life? Yeah, so lots of beautiful stories amongst the students. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things we really were sort of hoping and praying for was that, you know, we'd have this institute, which was providing structure, providing a place to have these conversations and access to the sacraments. Uh, making it easier for people to be good and to be good Catholics. Um, and, uh, but we're also hoping, you know, really to sort of build up leaders who would listen yeah. to the spirit. And, you know, one of the beautiful things that happened three years ago was the students on their own initiative, uh, but then, then under our supervision, right. but on their own initiative started a charismatic Catholic prayer group. Mm -hmm. um, so, so this just, bubbled up from the bottom. It was just five or six students who wanted to pray and wanted to pray in a much more open kind of way, open to the spirit and pray for each other. And they would do it, you know, before the blessed sacrament. Uh, and then that's, you know, grown, you know, every year, you know, and now there's, you know, rotating few dozen, you know, who, who, who come to this. And that's where our leaders have always for the past few years have, have come out of. Um, and so we've seen those leaders go on. Um, we have a fellow who is starting his second year in the novitiate uh, with the Midwest Dominicans, which is Father Nick's province. We have another fellow who is going to enter the Benedictines this year at St. Meinrad's. Um, we have another um, lovely young woman who's a senior this year and who's uh, been in discernment with the Franciscan Sisters of the Eucharist uh, in Chicago. Um, so we've seen a, a number of religious vocations. We've seen a lot of students go on to sort of service, more service-oriented uh, vocations out in the world. So um, uh, Francis Corps and other kind of um, Catholic missionary programs. And then, yeah, we have actually have seen uh, a number of Catholic marriages, which is something I don't think we saw. There was a lot of, um, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, but we've, we've seen a lot. Father Nick has presided over a, a number of marriages and he's done spiritual direction for them. Um, we've also every year um, uh, we've seen a good number of students come into full communion uh, with with the church as well. And again, that's not our primary objective, though, of course, we're very welcoming and encouraging to anyone who's who's interested. But, you know, a lot of our, our serious students, Protestant students will, again, just fall in love with the beauty of Catholicism and the faithfulness of our Catholic students and are really just drawn into um, drawn into a, des a desire to, to be part of the church. I'm curious um, if you've had any hesitancy or nervousness from from the school or uh, any, <laughs> any angry phone calls or letters from, from parents? How does that kind of work out? 
Um, <clears throat> it's not a, not as many as I actually anticipated early on. Um, I mean, I, I, when we proposed this idea, we had a two-page paper that we just shopped out to a bunch of colleagues and administration. And we thought this thing was a lead balloon and it was going to, you know, they were just going to be like, absolutely not, you're crazy. And uh, so initially, you know, we shopped this around, they loved it. So all the Protestants loved it. All, they're like, this is way overdue. This is great. We need this. The Catholic students need this. In the beginning, the resistance I got was from Catholics, hmm. my Catholic colleagues, <laughs> who were just like, no, we don't do this here. You know, we're, this is Hope College. You know, it's don't ask, don't tell. Right. Keep your um, head down. Just keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You know, we don't. Yeah, we don't express our face publicly. Um, most of those folks have come around and, and that's not it. Uh, I've had a few conversations where, you know, some really top students have become Catholic and that's been a bitter, that's been bitter for, for some of my colleagues. Um, uh, but for the most part, it's, it's been very amenable. I've gotten a, a few, it's funny. I, I find this out after the fact, because you know, my classes generally go very well and students like the classes. Um, but I gave the commencement address last year and I had a student come up to me um, and she's like, you know, I hated your class. I was like, really? Because I thought you loved it. And she's like, I loved it at the end, but I hated it. I, every class, I was so mad at you. Um, and you said these things I had never heard before. And I reported you to the president of the college. <laughs> and um, she's like, but I have never thought about the Bible so deeply as I did in your class. Um and so, and she's like, and then I loved your class and blah, yeah. blah, blah, you know? So, uh, and then I also had a parent come up to me, a Protestant parent. He's like, oh my, I just want to thank you, you know? Uh, my son said, you know, you're one of his favorites and, you know, it's, um, he really admired your class and your faith and da, da, da. And I just want you to know, we think you're wrong on a lot of things. <laughs> gotta gotta add that in we're there. really right? grateful. <laughs> Which is great. I mean, that's great. I think that's exactly what you should do, right? We're friends. We love each other. Obviously, we think we're wrong on all sorts of issues. We should be clear about that uh, because we care about the truth, right? And clearly, this parent cared about the truth. Um, but they were grateful, right? Yeah. Um, because, you know, even at, I mean, Hope is is a great college in many ways, but like most colleges, it has a range of professors and some who are don't want to talk about faith, some who are very skeptical about the faith, some who have very odd interpretations of how faith in, interacts with the intellectual yeah. life and their disciplines. And so I think a lot of the, especially the faithful students are just grateful when they just find someone who's just willing to say, look, faith and reason are integrated and this is what it looks like. Um, and even if they don't come into the church, they, they're, they're grateful for the witness of someone who loves Jesus. And now here at the end of our discussion, all of, all of the Catholic parents of, of high schoolers are going, Okay, Hope College in, <laughs> in Holland, Holland, Michigan, uh, because this has just been a fantastic uh, conversation of all the work you're doing at the St. Benedict Institute for Catholic Thought, Culture, and Evangelization. Find out more information at stbenedictinstitute.org, uh, and that is St. All spelled out, stbenedictinstitute.org. Dr. Jared Ortiz, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was great. If you missed any part of my conversation with Dr. Ortiz, you want to go back and listen to it again, or maybe you know someone who's got a kid ready to go to college and they're looking for a place to grow in their faith and you want to share this on social media, 
Well, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. In addition, each and every week, we record an extra segment, doesn't make it into the broadcast, that we give as a gift of gratitude to all of those who support the show through Patreon. To learn more about our Patreon support community and see all of the extra segments we give to them, go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link at the top right-hand corner of the page, take a look, and consider becoming a part of that support network. Now let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and Church History. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips so you can jump between the catechism and Scripture and the documents of the church, the fathers of the church. Learn more at Verbum.com. Now, our reading today from, uh, from Scripture comes from Sirach. We haven't gotten to Sirach a whole lot, really any of the deuterocanonical books. Uh, So I'm really excited about it, but it fits right in with our conversation about growing in our knowledge of the faith. Uh, This comes from the feast day of St. Robert Bellarmine, which occurred on Friday, September 17th. Um, And this is the reading from the Common of the Doctors of the Church that accompanies the Office of Readings in the Liturgy of the Hours. How different the person who devotes himself to the study of the law of the Most High. He explores the wisdom of all the ancients and is occupied with the prophecies. He preserves the discourse of the famous and goes to the heart of involved sayings. He seeks out the hidden meanings of Proverbs and is busied with the enigmas found in parables. He is in attendance of the great and appears before rulers— He travels among the peoples of foreign lands to test what is good and evil among people. His care is to rise early, to seek the Lord his Maker, to petition the Most High, to open his mouth in prayer, to ask pardon for his sins. If it pleases the Lord Almighty, he will be filled with the spirit of understanding. He will pour forth his words of wisdom and in prayer give praise to the Lord. He will direct his knowledge and his counsel as he meditates upon God's mysteries. He will show the wisdom of what he has learned and glory in the law of the Lord's covenant. Many will praise his understanding. His name can never be blotted out. Unfading will be his memory. Through all generations, his name will live. People will speak of his wisdom and the assembly will declare his praise. While he lives, he is one out of a thousand, and when he dies, he leaves a good name. That reading comes from Sirach 39, it's verses 1 through 11, and there is something to be said for taking the time to meditate and to plumb the depths of the Psalms and the Proverbs and the parables and all that has been given to us in the scriptures. In fact, today on that same on that same day, on Friday, we see that the disciples, uh, Jesus told a parable to the people, and he told them about the farmer that sows seed. And the disciples were not immediately clear on what Jesus meant. So they approached him and they asked, and he with them privately, unfolded the depths and the the mysteries that lived under the surface of that parable. So it's not enough sometimes for us to hear the words, even the words of Christ himself. We have to follow the example of the disciples and say, Lord, I want to know more about this. Teach me 
the underlying meaning. Let me get at what this really is trying to touch. Let me get at the heart of this message. And that, that takes work. It takes humility and it takes study. And so let us follow the example of the disciples. Let us follow the example of the saints and dedicate ourselves to the study and the contemplation of the mysteries of the gospel. Our reading from church history today also comes from September 17th, the Feast of Robert Bellarmine, uh, out of the Office of Readings. And it is uh, from his treatise, from the, a treatise on the ascent of the mind to God by St. Robert Bellarmine. Sweet Lord, you are meek and merciful. Who would not give himself wholeheartedly to your service if he began to taste even a little of your fatherly rule? What command, Lord, do you give your servants? Take my yoke upon you, you say. And what is this yoke of yours like? My yoke, you say, is easy, and my burden light. Who would not be glad to bear a yoke that does not press hard, but caresses? Who would not be glad for a burden that does not weigh heavy, but refreshes? And so you were right to add, and you will find rest for your souls. And what is this yoke of yours that does not weary, but gives rest? It is, of course, that first and greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. What is easier, sweeter, and more pleasant than to love goodness, beauty, and love? the fullness of which you are, O Lord my God. Is it not true that you promise those who keep your commandments a reward more desirable than great wealth and sweeter than honey? You promise a most abundant reward. For as your apostle James says, the Lord has prepared a crown of life for those who love him. What is this crown of life? It is surely a greater good than we can conceive of or desire. As St. Paul says, quoting Isaiah, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it so much as dawned on man what God has prepared for those who love him. Truly, then, the recompense is great for those who keep your commandments. That first and greatest commandment helps the man who obeys, not the God who commands. In addition, the other commandments of God perfect the man who obeys them. They provide him with what he needs. They instruct and enlighten him and make him good and blessed. If you are wise, then know that you have been created for the glory of God and your own eternal salvation. This is your goal. This is the center of your life. This is the treasure of your heart. If you reach this goal, you will find happiness. If you fail to reach it, you will find misery. May you consider truly good whatever leads you to your goal, and truly evil whatever makes you fall away from it. Prosperity and adversity, wealth and poverty, 
health, and sickness, honors and humiliations, life and death. In the mind of the wise men, these are not sought for their own sake, nor avoided for their own sake. But if they contribute to the glory of God and your eternal happiness, then they are good and should be sought. If they detract from this, they are evil and must be avoided. That reading comes from a treatise on the ascent of the mind to God by St. Robert Bellarmine, whose feast we celebrated on September 17th. And in this piece, uh, we see a little bit of that that tightrope balance that we talked about earlier in the show of of scholasticism, of uh, of academics, and of sacramental. Right there is the sacramental life, the encounter with the person of Jesus Christ, the connection and communion with God Himself, and also this deep devotion to learning. So Saint Robert Bellarmine was uh, a Jesuit, a cardinal an important figure in the Counter-Reformation, uh, a brilliant mind who's, who wrote volumes of, of books, studying the Church Fathers and much more, uh, and writing really in-depth treatises about them. But as we come to his question of how then should I connect to God, how do I, uh, the, the ascent of the mind to God, how do I uh, ascend and, and bring myself to a place where I am communing with God, he comes to a place uh, where he says it is through the obedience to God and through love. This, this is how I connect to God. But all of the learning underpins that, right? The time that he took to invest in the study, this gives him the, really a deeper understanding of what it means to connect with God. To love God is to love truth and goodness and beauty and these transcendentals. And yes, you can love God without any learning whatsoever. But there is, as I said earlier, uh, the learning, the academics, the, the investment in study serve to enrich our appreciation and understanding of what that loving connection to God is. Now, learning without this devotion to God, without investing ourselves in the encounter with God, can take us to a really just kind of unfulfilling place. And so the, the study in and of itself isn't enough. We have to come to a place where we meditate on the transcendentals, meditate on truth in its fullness and goodness in its fullness and beauty in its fullness. And in doing so, we come not just to a knowledge of God as in a knowledge of math or a knowledge of science or a knowledge even of theology in its technical sense, we come to a knowledge of God in intimacy and in friendship and in fruitfulness. So go out and study and go out and contemplate and join the two in your love for God. That's all the time we have for today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Christopher Robin Webster and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more and join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.